So this morning, well, let's, uh, I want to ask you a question. Why have you come this morning? Because <laughs> you're expected to be here by Jesus. <laughs> That's not a bad answer. But uh, I want to ask, like, what is it that you've come to expect? And uh, what are you expecting to, to have happen today? Do you come with expectation? And it's my hope that this morning you'll go with me on, on a journey that you will, uh, in a sense, travel with me maybe into places that you're not used to going. And the, uh, the journey I'd like for us to take this morning uh, relates to fear. I want to ask, what is your, what is your greatest fear? Uh, one of the reasons I want to explore this today is because it's something that I uh, recognize in myself that I'm constantly having to deal with. That there are things in my, in my I, know just, I just know my heart and my mind, when I get into certain situations, uh, things that maybe I haven't done before, or maybe places that I have been before and I've had a bad experience, and this, and this fear begins to rise up in me, and it begins to actually uh, change uh, the way that I view things, and it changes and affects the way that I behave and respond. So fear in, in so many different ways can have uh, a powerful influence on my life and on our lives. And the other reason I want to talk about it this morning as well is that, you know, the Bible talks a lot about fear. In fact, um, in all of the commands that are in the Bible, and there are hundreds and hundreds of commands in the Bible, that the one that comes up actually most frequently is this, do not be afraid, don't fear. And so God has a very realistic view of, and he knows what goes on in our lives, and so he's constantly speaking this out to us, don't be afraid. Because he knows that in so many different areas of our lives, uh, we encounter fear. Now, for some, you know, these fears might be simple. I, uh, I was looking around on the internet a little bit. I don't know if you know of blenophobia. <laughs> there you have it. The fear of boogers. Didn't know that one existed, but there it is. Uh, how about this one? Phronomophobia. It's the fear of thinking. Now, some of you are thinking, I know somebody who has that fear. They might not feel like they've been diagnosed with it, but somebody has it. <laughs> How about pantheraphobia? I think this is a common one. Uh, fear of your mother-in-law. <laughs> or how about this guy? The knowledge that Chuck Norris can see you, but you can't see him. Now, is that an irrational fear, or is it logical? I think it's maybe logic, actually. Or how about this guy here? Now, you might have all sorts of reasons of why you want to stay away from me. But one of your phobias may very well be the fear of bald people, platophobia. There you go. Or how about this one? Homilophobia. It's the fear of sermons. <laughs> so... So if you're visiting with us, I promise this is going to be a safe little talk that we have this morning. Have, do not fear. But you know, for many of us, there are very real fears. There, uh, I know of people in this congregation that have struggled with uh, deep and effective uh, phobias. And, uh, and so we, while we want to have a little bit of fun with it this morning, you know, those things are very real. And even though for some of us, they may seem irrational, but for the person that is experiencing, experiencing them, it is completely rational. It's, 
their experience and they get paralyzed by it. They get hemmed in by it. And we want to be able to help each other today to, to break three. We don't want to minimize those fears, but we want to engage with them and see what Jesus would have to say. And this morning we read in, in Matthew 14 some of that disturbing story in many ways of Herod and what he chooses to do. And, uh, and in particular, it says this, it says, uh, For John had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And there's probably lots of other things going on in Herod's life, but John actually stepped up to the plate and he says, you know what? What you've done here is wrong. And, and I don't know about you, but I think oftentimes it's very difficult to have somebody come into our lives and to, to pose that kind of question. When we've made a, a choice, whether it be about lifestyle or, or money or relationships, it could be about a whole host of things. But somebody has the audacity to step into our lives and to actually pose the question. And, you know, for Herod, he's in this position of power. And so what powerful people did in that time when you got in their way, just take care of you. You're just expendable. You're just, you know, Herod's kind of curious about him. He seems like a prophet or maybe could he be Jesus from the dead? But, you know, in the end, you're questioning me. And people don't question me. I'm Herod. You know, and we can become the king in our own little world. Excuse me, but you know, I'm Dave DeYoung. You know, youth pastor. You become. We have our own little kingdom, and some of us, you know, we would we would never really physically. I don't think anybody in this room would ever kill anybody. But in terms of using our power, our position, do we ever pull that out of? our back pocket and start to use that over somebody else. One of the things that we explored a few months ago was uh, loving our kids on purpose. And one of the things that I talked about was just, you know, sometimes as parents, we can, uh, well, I'm the mom and I'm the dad. So it's like, you know, well, why do I have to do that? You know, because I said so, you know, because I'm your mother and you will do it. Notice I chose the mother and not the father. Because I would never talk like that, right? <laughs> you know, but we but we, we pull rank and then it then becomes this exercise in power that just dominates and squishes. And you know, we can do that it's not just parents that do that, right? It's, it can be bosses, owners, uh, pastors, all sorts of leaders, simply because of our rank or status, whether real or perceived. And you know, I think sometimes in terms of, you know, parent-teen relationships, we can see that questioning as, in many ways, a, an act of rebellion when really it might just be a genuine asking of a question. You know, I think that's, that's something that I'm grow- seeking to grow in as a parent is actually to listen to feedback well from my kids because they weren't used to it at this age. They just took whatever daddy said as truth because you're my dad. Must be right. But then they've started to grow up. <laughs> and they've started to recognize that my worldview is not the only view of the world. And that's okay. And so, but they're growing into that questioning, and now I need to be able to actually receive that. And not just from my own children, but from others in the youth group, uh, others of any age, really. And, uh, you know, I think I want to ask this question what if being questioned is simply that? Somebody asking you a question. 
What if somebody asking you a question is the means of God actually moving you from something that is not so good to something that is good? Maybe something that's better than you've ever experienced before. Maybe, maybe it's God's way of, of intervening and saying, I've got, here's the best, and you're way over here. Let me intervene with a question. The other thing that uh, stood out to me this, in this reading is, uh, is Herod. It says this. It says, uh, after John said, it's not lawful you, for you to have her uh, as your wife, he said, Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. And later it would say when he was requested to give John's head on a platter, it says that he was distressed. So he's like, oh, I made a promise that I really don't want to keep, but I made it in front of all these people. It says here, because of his dinner guests, he acted on his promise. Does the fear of what others think affect the decisions that you make? I think it happens all the time. I know it happens all the time for me. And sometimes, you know, that can be good. Uh, it can be good. To, there is a positive peer pressure and, or even, even uh, a pressure from an authority. Sometimes, you know, we might have a coach that is, uh, wants to pull the best out of us in a particular sport or a particular endeavor that we're in. <laughs> I know a couple coaches here. And, and they do it with loud voices and, uh, you know, flamboyant motion and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, sometimes that might be kind of freaky to us, but it's because they want to pull the best out of us. And uh, so there is that, that positive peer pressure or even in a sense of relationships where we have an accountability to one another. And uh, so I want to know what you think because I want, to, I want to find out the best for myself. And so sometimes that's really good, but a lot of times we allow the expectations of others to put us uh, into a place of fear where we merely obey. And uh, that's Glenda's, <laughs> Glenda's answer, actually, why are we here this morning? Well, because Jesus expects us to be here, and that's true. Didn't you say that? Sorry, what did you say? Okay, expected to see Jesus. Okay. So that's my wrong translation based on my own issues. <laughs> right? Because this is what happens for me anyways, is that I've got the, you know, there's this expectation. Dave, you shall be here Sunday morning, you know, or Tuesday night, or, and we can go on and on about the things that I'm involved in. And you have your own things. You have your own choices, the things that you're asked to be a part of. And you have this sense of, I have to be here. And it becomes this almost like a, a weight that becomes a burden instead of a joy. And so we have to wrestle with these things and, and come to that point of tension where we say, you know, like, even just asking the question, what's, what does Jesus actually want? Maybe he doesn't actually want me to be there today. And could I actually voice that? Or am I willing to voice that because I have this fear of what you're gonna, how you're going to respond to me actually standing up and saying something? And uh, I came across this, uh, this, this awesome little uh, video of, uh, I wonder, you know, we experience it in many different ways. Have you ever thought of how Jesus' family might have experienced it? Let's watch this. <laughs> We're going to talk about walking on water in a minute, but the fear of others, eh? And the expectations of others can be just a very crippling thing. This, I mean, this is a fun view of it, but it can very much uh, be a crippling thing. And I think uh, oftentimes it's, the difficulty comes when I've, when I've stated publicly 
what I'm going to do. And so, right, this is what Herod's done. He said, hey, you've, he's probably drunk, this big party. Young girl dances before him. He's like, hey, you know, ask me for whatever you want. I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And he says it. And then when she comes back, she says, give me John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. It's like, gulp. But he's, he's made it. He's said something out loud in front of a whole bunch of people. And for him to change his mind becomes, and I think this is for all of us. As soon as we've said it, now it's public knowledge. It's like, oh my gosh, I made a really bad decision. But I've said it. To change your mind at that point becomes very, very difficult. You know, but we see the fruit of that kind of fear. What is the fruit of that fear in Herod's life? It means that John's life ends. And I think for us, you know, the challenge many times is to, to be able to admit that we've made a wrong decision. And, uh, and similarly, you know, peer pressure comes up quite often when you think about fear. But as soon as I say peer pressure, what do you think of? Exactly. Teenagers, right? And so um, we'll have our little life skills class, and we'll talk about, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol, and we'll take you up to the high school, and we're going to have a simulation of somebody that's, you know, been in a drug uh, driving car accidents and stuff like that. And we're going to have all these things and then we're going to have our little sex talk over here and talk about all the sexually transmitted diseases that you could get if you're not careful. And We talk about peer pressure and we, and we just kind of think like, well, that's a teenage thing. But I just think we've missed it. I think that we need a bit of a reality check and we need to ask ourselves, what about adult peer pressure? <laughs> Right? Is it just something that kids struggle with and the rest of us, well, you know, at age 19, this little switch goes on and it's just like, hey, I'm a free man. I make all, you know, I make solid decisions just based on what's going on in here. This, not, you know, nobody's pressuring me. But, you know, what do you, what do you think about when, when you go to your neighbor's house and your, your 15-inch, you know, tube television and then you go to your friend's house and they have, like, HD, right? Or they have flat screen. Or they have, you know, so you get a 42-inch, but then somebody comes along, man, they got a 56-inch flat screen. And some of this is just like envy, right? Like it's like, man, I got to have that. Some of it's maybe pride. It's just like, hey, check out my 56-inch HD flat screen TV. But eventually these things, they all come at us, and, and, you know, the neighbors are cleaning up their garden. I think maybe we should start cleaning up our garden. Oh, so-and-so got a new car. You know, yeah, ours is getting kind of old. I wonder if we should get a new car. And, and there's all these subtle pressures that, begin to sh- that they begin to shape, up, shape us because we fear, are we going to measure up amongst our peers? It's peer pressure. And there's all sorts of other ways as adults. I'm just picking on a few, but you can think of it for yourself, you know, that we succumb in many ways to that. And it's peer pressure. This whole thing is about fear. And, you know, it's not just the bad guys of the Bible that have to struggle with this. You know, I'm, I'm using Herod as an example. But immediately after, we read of Jesus' followers and 
and Jesus is doing this awesome teaching, and there's all these crowds around and stuff, and they're starting to look around, and it's kind of getting late, and it's like, I don't know, Jesus, they're, they're looking to us for a lot of stuff, but it's, it's coming up to dinner time. Can you send them away? So they're having this fear of just like, what are we going to do with all these people? So uh, we don't have the resources. We don't have what it's going to take. So can you just get rid of them? Send them home. Then it's not our bother. Jesus says, they don't have to go away. He says, you give them something to eat. It's interesting. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I want to ask you a question and uh, give you an opportunity to discuss it with somebody that's close to you, sitting close to you, that is. Uh, Where do you find yourself in the story? And what is your greatest fear? So pick one of those two. Maybe some of the things that we've shared today. Where do you find yourself in the story? Or if you want to talk about something else, maybe you think as soon as the word fear comes up, this other picture comes up in your mind. And if you feel free, just to share that. So let's just take a couple minutes to do that this morning. Okay, maybe another half a minute or so. So one more thing uh, this morning that isn't uh, from the gospel reading that we had, um, but it's something that I felt God was just impressing upon me this week as I was preparing for this. And um, I think I just want to touch very briefly on uh, the fear, the fear of the unknown. And this can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. And I'm not going to try to talk about all the different things that are unknown, but you will know them. But and in particular, I just had the sense that for some, they're on the verge of entering new territory, of, of doing something that's new. And, and you're scared of it. And, and I believe the word for you this morning would be uh, this, that you know, like you're, you're scared perhaps for two reasons. Uh, one is that Something in you is going to have to die in order for you to receive the new life that is before you. And that's where the fear comes in. It's a principle of of life that, um, you know, just as a seed, Jesus said, has to go into the ground and die uh, before it can rise and and live and bear good fruit. Um, It's the same for us, that in order to enter into the new life that God has for us, um, something, something has to die in order that something in fullness may come to life. And, and that's often a very difficult thing, and, and, and maybe you're scared of that this morning. The other thing is that maybe you're just scared of it being as good as it could be. You know, God has something that's, that's beyond where you are now, and he's given you a, a glimpse of it, and... You kind of see it, but it's so good. You just think, like, that can't be for me. It's it's too good, and so uh, you're you're afraid of the letdown of a well. It, it's not going to happen anyway, so I'm just not going to go there. And I think Jesus would desire to speak into that fear this morning. Of if you're entering into something that's new, something that's on the horizon, you've caught a glimpse, and it's going to cost. Some things are going to have to die. But you're also going to have to get over the fear of, could it really be that good? Everything else that I thought was that good was, was always disappointed. Could it really be that good? Jesus, I believe, would say, uh, yes, 
And I want to just, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about fear this week. I actually didn't spend as much time as I would have liked thinking about what's the solution. So in some ways, I'm going to wing it for the, for the end of our time together. But uh, these three words came to me this morning, and it was identity, invitation, and initiative. And I just want to tell a couple stories. One is when Jesus was uh, getting ready to start his ministry. This is a story that may be familiar to many of you, but he was, and Jesus said, I only ever do what I hear the Father telling me what to do. And so it came time in his life, he was about 30 years old, and Jesus hears the Father saying, now is the time. And so he goes and he meets John the Baptist, the fellow whose head was cut off in the story of today. And he goes up to him and he says, I need to be baptized by you. And John's like, hey, Jesus. No, no, no. If anything, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, no, I have to be baptized by you to fulfill all that God has for me. And so Jesus listens to the call. He takes initiative and obedience to being baptized. And the gospel tells us that as Jesus came out of the water, uh, the Holy Spirit came on him, looked like a dove, and then God spoke out these words to him. He says, you are my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And so Jesus hears the invitation of God to say, now is the time. And he takes initiative and goes and walks in obedience and says, baptize me. And then he hears, probably not for the first time, but maybe for the first time in terms of this time of his life as he's entering a new phase, and he says, you're my son. I love you so much. I'm so pleased with you. And then we have the disciples this morning where they're like, we can't deal with this. I don't have the resources to deal with this crowd, Jesus. You've got to do something. Get rid of them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You give them something to eat. Jesus invites them to step into a new thing. You give them something to eat. And they say, well, I got a couple loaves and a few fish, but what are these? You know, with so many people, like it's not going to work. Jesus says, bring it to me. And he gives thanks to his father, begins to break it, and it feeds over 5,000 men, and that's not including the women and children. And so Jesus invites them to take a step. Right? He says, you give them something to eat. He puts them in the deep end. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, if I had a crowd of five to 10,000 people, I think I'd be gulping pretty deeply. Now, but he invites them in the deep end, and they say, well, I don't have much, but here's what I got. And when we give that, Jesus multiplies it, produces something that feeds all sorts of people. It goes way beyond our imagination of what we could have seen happen. So they take that initiative of giving the little bit, and they begin to have this new identity, I believe, in the sense that, you know, maybe I can make a difference. I think one of the things that I enjoyed hearing from some of our youth that went on Mexico was that, you know, the problem of poverty is huge, and we see it every day, and you feel like you can't make a difference. But then you go down and you, and you build a house for a family that impacts them and their children and the grandparent that lives there as well. You've got three generations that are impacted by it, and you're setting them on a new course than they've ever been on before. And so you have this, this little bit, this, this bread and a couple loaves of bread and some fish of building materials, and you build a home. And one of the things that the kids said, you know, is 
you know what? We didn't change the world, but we changed their world. We made a huge impact. And I think the other, the last story I want to just share is, uh, was alluded to in, in the story about James, the James, where it talked about him sinking. Because it says after Jesus had fed the 5,000, it says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, Jesus himself went up on a mountainside to pray. And when evening came, he was alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, pushed around by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's me. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, it says here, and the water coming towards him, he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. I, I kind of picture him giving Peter a little noogie. Oh, Peter, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, sometimes, because I know for a long time when I was reading this, it's just like, oh, you of little faith. How could you doubt? How dare you sink into that water? But you know, I don't know, that that's, that's doesn't sound like Jesus. Not with his disciples that are stepping out. So that's why I, I like to picture, oh, Peter, <laughs> you little faith. Why did you doubt? But this is the story that kind of started me on this path of exploring fear because what I what captures me about this is that Peter and the rest of the disciples are like, go on, it's a ghost! And they're freaking out in the boat. And what I find interesting, obviously Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. It's a new perspective, suddenly by the voice. And then I love what Peter does because he says, if it's you, tell me to come on out. And Jesus and Jesus, what? He gives the invitation, come. And what I like is, what stood out to me in this, is that uh, the thing that freaked Peter out the most, the thing that just earlier had just terrified him, because it wasn't like all the rest of the disciples like, ah, it's a ghost. And Peter's like, oh, come on, it's Jesus. You know, he's not doing that. He's with the rest of them. He's freaked out. And what I love is that Peter steps towards the fear. He doesn't run away from it. <laughs> he doesn't grab an oar and everybody's like trying to get away. But he says, if it's you, tell me to come. He says, come. Step into the thing that, fear, that you fear the most. And maybe for you, that's even God this morning. Maybe for you, Jesus is that person that's kind of like way out there and it's just like, that freaks me out, man, when you start talking about Jesus. And Jesus says, it's okay. I'm not a ghost. I'm not somebody to be scared of come to me. And when we take that initiative, incredible things happen. We walk on water, and when we fail, which is another great fear, oh my gosh, what if I don't make it? Where is Jesus? Arms held open. I got gotcha. you. I got your back. Let's pray.